Good morning, and welcome to the first Sunday of Advent. Advent is a time of waiting, of holy expectation for what is to come. It is a time of preparing our hearts and our homes for Christmas joy. Just four weeks from now, we celebrate God revealing what love really is in the person of Jesus. During Advent, we remember the incarnation of Jesus, born to a young woman who but for love would have been an outcast. Born in a barn, God incarnate had a rocky start. The God we meet in Jesus is a God of compassion, of righteousness, and of a radical love like no other. The God who created the heavens and the earth becomes flesh and dwells among us. Emmanuel, God with us. Light this candle in gratitude for God's divine and perfect love made visible at Christmas and our imperfect and sometimes clumsy ways of sharing it. We light this candle as a symbol of God's light shining in the darkness. The light has come into the world. It shines as brightly now as it did then. The darkness didn't overcome it then and it never will.
Good morning. It's great to see all of you in one room today. Amen. What a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Prepare room in your heart for the Lord today. Let's stand and sing some great carols of the season.
Amen. It's good to hear God's people sing today. You may be seated. I pray today that you're here with an expectant heart. Emmanuel, God with us, is here today. May he speak to our hearts. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, his name is called Emmanuel, God with Today is a great day in the house of the Lord. We expect the Lord to do amazing things. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. That's our heart's cry today. Amen. May we declare that as a church today. Stand together and let's sing. Dear desire of heaven. 
we rejoice in this season of the year. Come, Lord Jesus, be in our hearts and our minds, not just this month as we lead up to the celebration of the birth, but 365 days of the year because of the sacrifice that ultimately comes on the cross. But first there was the birth. We rejoice in the greatest gift that's ever been given. Now, Lord, as we pause in this service, during this time of worship, we worship with our tithes and our offerings. Bless the gift and the giver. May it be used to glorify your matchless name. For it's in your name I pray. Amen. i 
Wow, this looks great. Hey, everybody. <laughs> I just see a few seats throughout. Now you know why we've done two services for the last nine months. But this is going to feel good as we head into the Christmas holidays. And um, you can find a seat. Just get here early. There's still seats up front. Those of you who love the back, <laughs> plenty of seats. <laughs> I want to ask you a question this morning. And that is, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? Uh, those of you from my generation and even older will remember the coveted wish book or wish books. We were actually talking about this this week. When the Sears, JCPenney, Montgomery Ward or whatever other wish book arrived in the mail, serious research began. Um, the younger generations just don't get it. You, you probably did as I did as a kid. You got it. You got a pen or a marker a marker, a crayon, whatever you could get as a kid, and you flipped to the toy section, and you started researching and circling and dog-earing the corners and everything. And, and that, that wish book, it dropped from heaven because it had everything a kid could ever want and pajamas to match it. It was a wonderful thing. <laughs> you know, I discovered this week that a lot of those old wish books are actually available online. They've scanned them in, and you can... Flip through the pages and it goes whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. But you can't circle and dog ear, but it's still pretty cool. And so I, I, they go all the way back to 1937. So you might want to go to wishbookweb.com this afternoon and look through those. <laughs> but I pulled up one this week from 1984. I would have been in third grade, just like my older son. And I was like, what were the things in 1984? Well, I mean, those were the, those were the best days, man. <laughs> Gobots. Anybody have some Gobots? Before Transformers, Gobots. You had the A Team, Masters of the Universe, Return of the Jedi had just come out, all those toys. G.I. Joe. I mean, that was good. And not to mention Legos, which have always been there. And then you had for the girls, Care Bears, Rainbow Brights, and then the rage of Cabbage Patch Kids. Can I get a witness? Those were the best toys ever. 80s kids. Yes, thank you. Instead of wish books, though, now we have to settle for algorithms that figure out what we want or need and put them in our social media feeds. And so, for example, this popped up in my feed the other night. Really? Facebook pegs me way more trendy than I really am. <laughs> and maybe a lot less masculine than I hope to be. <laughs> I shared this with the staff and I said, well, I know what I'm getting for the three male guys this Christmas. Now I just got to figure out what I'm getting Kimberly. And Thomas said, I'm really more concerned that Dress Lily sent that to you. So, note to self, search more about guns and power tools. <laughs> well, however we generate our list, we all have one. And it, it may be written down, it may be in our heads, it may simply be in our hearts, but we, all of us want something. And, and this new sermon series is going to consider three big things that we all need 
not just want for Christmas. And the topics that we're going to consider are some of our deepest needs. Unfortunately, they can't be found in a catalog. They can't be suggested by an algorithm. Only God's Word can answer them and provide examples for us. And so, to gain these desires, what we're going to do this Christmas season is we're going to look at the Christmas story from a little bit different angle and glean some truths that are tucked away there. And so, One of the greatest desires of human beings is to love and be loved. Many of you uh, studied Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs in probably college, and hopefully you passed psychology, but just above the physiological needs of food, water, warmth, rest, and safety needs of security and safety, you have these belongingness and love needs. It's really like the first more personal needs beyond just the things you need for survival. We all need to love and be loved. It's one of our greatest desires, and that's very true at Christmas, Elvis Presley tapped into this 60 years ago with, I'll have a blue Christmas without you, right? 23 years ago, a much younger Mariah Carey tapped into it when she released, All I Want for Christmas is You. Mariah Carey still makes a half million dollars a year on that song alone. That's because radio stations play it every third song. But perhaps no one has tapped the desire to love and be loved as Hallmark has with their Christmas movies. Does every Hallmark Christmas movie have the same plot? Yes. In fact, someone has created Hallmark Bingo with some of these things. And so you can just search Hallmark Bingo and it has love symbolism or metaphor, cooking, deep discussion within minutes of meeting, the other man or woman, workaholic boyfriend, dead family, because you know in some of them like the dead person comes back to life. Some kind of montage, the liar secret, a character named Nick, of course. Five minute wrap up at the end, past relationship, financial or job issue, Christmas, awkward scene, animals, wise elderly person who gives random advice, Product placement or advertising, you can catch that. Kids, fake snow, plot hole, why Christmas is hard, ice skating, real estate transaction, magical element, and repeated footage. You've probably seen that. And I would add repeated actors and actresses throughout all of them. You know, we can laugh about all of that, but all of those things are this idea of the Hallmark movie is why people like their movies. We like them because we secretly wish things were like that. We, we secretly wish that all little shops wouldn't be taken over by box stores. We, we wish that we could leave a seven-figure corporate job and move to small town USA and run a little shop with a beautiful girl or a handsome guy who we hated two weeks ago. <laughs> we wish that if we were widowed at 40 or single that the next handsome guy or beautiful girl who broke down outside of town would walk up and knock on our door. We wish for the nostalgia. We wish for the love, the romance, the Hallmark kiss, the snow on Christmas Eve, and for everyone in town to join around the town Christmas tree and sing Christmas carols led by a man or woman who was a stranger to everyone two weeks before. It's a beautiful thing. But then there is the real Christmas story. And it doesn't fit the storyboard of Hallmark. We have a couple, we have a small town, We have plenty of crisis, but the similarities end there. When we read about Mary and Joseph, they don't line up with 
Hallmark's Nick and Mary or Chris and Candy. Joseph was a small town shop owner. He was probably pretty buff given his trade, but we have no idea what Mary looked like and she certainly wasn't a wealthy socialite from the big city. But between Mary and Joseph, we find an obvious love. And this morning, I want to look at their story with fresh eyes and see what we can learn about loving and being loved. While their storyline doesn't fit a Hallmark movie, in them, we find true love and a powerful example of what it really takes to have a Christmas-style relationship. And so to explore their relationship, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and following. Matthew and Luke are the only two gospel writers that really tell us anything about Jesus' birth. And Matthew shares his version largely from the, the perspective of Joseph. And Luke shares his story largely from the perspective of Mary. So let's encounter the story in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 and following. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His merry mother was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit." She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home to, as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. We are first introduced to Mary and Joseph's relationship with Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. And this idea of being pledged and married was much more than our modern idea of engagement. Uh, first century Jewish marriages actually consisted of three phases, engagement, betrothment, and then marriage. The engagement uh, usually involved two children who were put together either by their parents or by a professional matchmaker. And they were determined that one day they would get married. Well, when this couple got older and they entered the stage of where it could be betrothed, the girl could refuse marriage and therefore be released from the engagement. But once she consented to the marriage, the betrothal was binding and it usually lasted for a year. Basically, if you agreed to marry the guy, you were getting married and you were stuck with it. But during that time of betrothal, that year or so, the, the, the girl lived with her parents and the couple, the betrothed couple was considered to be husband and wife, although they didn't enter into marriage relations. And then after one year, the marriage was considered complete. There'd be the big celebration and the couple would then live together and assume their life together. But as soon as the betrothal started, any kind of unfaithfulness was considered adultery. And that's where our crisis enters into this Christmas couple's plot. Notice that the couple's crisis begins in the first sentence, unlike a Hallmark movie where it starts 15 minutes before the end of the movie. 
It's in the first sentence. It says, but before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Joseph receives some devastating news. The girl to whom he's engaged is pregnant. He knows the, the baby isn't his. There's no way it could be. And I can only imagine Joseph's frustration, his anger, his bewilderment, his confusion, his despair. But just when Joseph is lower than low, an angel visits. And this angel does a wonderful thing. He eases Joseph's concerns. But even more, he includes Joseph in the great plan that God has for the redemption of the world. And so we watch as Joseph goes from the despondency of being critical of Mary to the glory of being involved with her in all that God wanted done. And so as we see this story unfold, we see lessons for a Christmas-style relationship emerge. And the first one of those is a Christmas-style relationship or marriage is founded on each person's relationship with God. In the second sentence, we find Joseph's character described in one word. Do you see it there? What is the one word that is used to describe Joseph? You can say it. Righteous. One word, righteous. If someone was to use one word to describe you, what would that be? Kind, cranky, loving, resentful, caring, well, the best description that God can give anyone is righteous. In fact, God called Noah righteous. Remember that? Out of all the people in the world at the time, God chose to save only Noah's family and to reboot the whole world through him. And Noah's task was to build an ark. And that task required enormous faith in the midst of immense criticism and mockery. But he pressed on and he was faithful to his call. Well, in this original Christmas story, God calls another righteous man, Joseph, to another task that would require enormous faith. And another task that would require this faith in the midst of enormous and intense criticism and mockery. Joseph was a righteous man, the Bible says. But what does that mean? Well, it means he conscientiously lived by what was right. As a just Jew, that meant he adhered to the law. He kept the Old Testament law. He was like the Old Testament saints. Does that mean he was perfect? No. Neither were Noah or David or Job or anybody else that was, was considered righteous in the Old Testament. Being righteous meant that Joseph lived for God. And that was true of Mary as well. She was not sinless, but she had a close relationship with God. She was sensitive and submissive to the Lord's will. When the angel appeared to her, she said, Be it unto me according to your word. While she did wonder, how can this be since I'm a virgin, she didn't doubt that the angel's appearance was real or that what he said was true. She had immense faith and was submissive to the will of God. Mary and Joseph both had a close personal relationship with God as close as any Jew of the first century could have. See, God did not call some guy and girl at random for this task of being parents to the Son of God. He chose Mary and Joseph because they walked with him. But a close personal relationship with God is not just needed to be the parents of Jesus. A close personal relationship with God is needed for any Christmas-style relationship or marriage. We call it a personal relationship or even your walk with God, because you live life with Jesus at your side. 
Jesus is right there in the midst of your life. He's with you all the time, helping you up when you fall, cheering you on when you succeed, holding you close when you hurt, rejoicing with you in times of joy. In order for any of us to have a Christmas-style relationship, we have to have a relationship with God. And so let me ask you at the beginning of this Christmas season, how is your relationship with God? Are you sensitive and submissive to God's will for your life as Mary was? Can you be described as righteous as Joseph was? If God called you to a mighty task as he did this young couple, would you first be close enough to him to know it was him talking to you? And second, would you do it? There are times in marriage when both of you need to hear from God clear and loud. There are other times in marriage when one or the other of you needs to hear from God clear and loud. And that's when a personal walk with him shines through. My wife, Rebecca, is amazing at this. Even as I was doing work on this sermon, on some work on Friday morning, she texted me from our bedroom where she was doing her quiet time. And then a few minutes later, she walked in and into our home office and she said, you know what we were talking about last night? Well, listen to this. And then she read a fresh word that she had just read from the Lord. That stuff doesn't happen if you're not walking with God on a daily basis. If you don't have a personal relationship with God, I encourage you to enter into one today. And we're going to give you an opportunity to do that at the end of today's message. But if you do have a personal relationship with God, I encourage you to know Jesus more in fact, that's going to be one of our main goals in 2018. We're going to uh, help you do that with a great resource next year as well as a year long of teaching on Wednesday nights. But you don't have to wait around till next month to plug in and grow in your relationship with God. You can do that today. You can do that tomorrow morning starting. It's the week of prayer for Lottie Moon. You could take those great missionary stories and read through those and spend some time in prayer every morning this week and be close to the God. Uh, you could take this passage and read it through and reflect on your notes from the message and reflect. You know that every week I send out usually on Tuesday or Wednesday, I'll send out an email called Focus Points and I also fo post it on Facebook and and. Um, Twitter. And in that, we have questions of reflection on the message from Sunday. We have uh, the audio link to the service. You can use that in a private devotion or in a family devotion. Whatever you do to grow in your relationship with God, I challenge you to do it. Do it daily. Do it consistently. If you want a stronger relationship, if you want a stronger marriage, develop a closer relationship with God. Everything else flows from that relationship. And we see that in Mary and Joseph. That relationship then flows into our second thing we see in their Christmas-style marriage, and that is that a Christmas-style marriage demonstrates love. Now, you might be thinking, I don't see a Hallmark kiss in this passage anywhere, Stuart. No, but there is very deep love, deeper than anything you'll see on a Hallmark movie. It shows up in verse 19 where we read that because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. He said, what does that have to do with love? Well, listen to this. Because Joseph was a righteous man, he faced some double trouble with Mary's news. First, because of his righteous moral standards, he knew he should not go through with the marriage because of Mary's pregnancy. 
He knew that he was not the father, and he assumed quite naturally that Mary had been unfaithful. So that was one problem. The second was, because of his righteous love and kindness, he could not bear the thought of shaming Mary publicly, which was the practice of the time, or even worse, having her stoned to death as required by the law. So there was double trouble. There's no evidence in the scripture that Joseph felt anger, resentment, or bitterness, even though he had been shamed if, we, if what he assumed had been true. But his concern was not for his own shame or for Mary. It was primarily for his love for Mary. He did not want to disgrace her publicly. He did not want to see her die. And so because he loved her so deeply... He determined simply to divorce her quietly. The idea would be that they would separate, go their separate, separate ways. And even though he knew that before long, people would know, at least for a while, Mary would be protected and she would live. Now that decision on Joseph's part reveals his great love for her. Even though as far as he knew, he had been betrayed and shamed, he cared so much for Mary that he protected her life and her reputation. He didn't expose her supposed sin. He did not spread rumors. He determined to divorce her quietly. Interestingly, Herschel Hobbes, great Baptist preacher, tells us that Joseph could not have known it, but in his actions, he became a foregleam of the gospel itself. For according to his understanding, Mary was guilty under the law and thereby was condemned to death. But in an act of grace, he showed mercy. Thus, his very gracious attitude was an acted parable of the grace of God extended to us all who were condemned to death under the law but can receive mercy and grace from a God who loves us. Joseph pondered his decision apparently as he laid down to sleep one night. Perhaps his mind was racing in those quiet hours with what to do and how to do it. And when he finally fell asleep, he dreamed. And according to the Jews, this was a great omen because often God would speak in dreams. And a dream was a sign of God's favor. And the angel comes to Joseph's mind. He puts it at ease. He encourages him with what to do. The angel assures Joseph that Mary is chaste and pure, that no doubt, brought great relief to Joseph. What is conceived in her, the angel said, is not from another man. Mary has not been promiscuous. She has not committed fornication. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph can rest easy. Mary is chaste. Joseph awakens with peace and a couple of tasks to do. The first is to marry Mary, and the second is to name the child Jesus. He could stop being afraid. No longer did Joseph hesitate. Though he was already planning to extend grace to Mary, encouraged by now by God, now he would show her not just grace, but amazing grace. Because instead of divorcing her quietly so that she might be saved in her reputation and she might be saved of her life, he now marries her, showing her amazing grace. Hobbes says he identified himself with her condition. He bore her shame as his own. The neighbors would gossip. The stigma of fornication would fasten into its stinging fangs into Mary's heart. But it would strike him also. 
Under the lash of public scorn, Mary's tender flesh would quiver, but always between her and the lash stood Joseph. His strength became her strength. That's true love. That's agape love. That's a God kind of love. That's the kind of love that makes a true Christmas-styled relationship. Married couples, did you know that one of the purposes of marriage is to mirror to the world God's love? You know, marriage requires grace and mercy and forgiveness and understanding and support and allegiance and a host of other facets of love, all of which God demonstrated to us. So children should love, learn what the love of God looks like by watching their parents. And, Christian, and, and friends should learn by watching their Christian friends what it means to love and what God's love looks like. But you know, even those of us who are not yet married or who are divorced or widowed can still communicate love. How we treat our friends, how we forgive, how we speak to people, all of that mirrors God's love to a watching world. So this morning, whether you're married or not, stand back from your relationship for a moment and ask, what do you see? What do you see? Is it really what you want others to see? Is it the kind of love that God demonstrates? For 2,000 years, people have watched Mary and Joseph. And their love has mirrored the love of God generation after generation after generation. They demonstrated love. Third, a Christmas-style marriage practices obedience to God. And this may be the most important facet. Look at verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. It was immediate obedience. Joseph woke up, he did what the angel had said. A Christmas-style relationship practices obedience to God. Joseph could have chosen to disobey God. Had he done so, however... He would have ceased to have been righteous and he would have ceased to have been loving. But because he was obedient, his righteousness and his love both grew. This obedience to God would not be easy. In saying yes to God, Joseph was welcoming on himself life ridicule, heartache and scorn from the townspeople, perhaps even from his own family. But that didn't matter. Even though obedience to God was difficult, it was the right thing to do. For some reason in our day, we have this idea that if we follow God, everything will be sunshine and daisies. That if we follow God, we'll always have plenty of money, we'll always have perfect health, we'll have lots and lots of great things. And a lot of that's perpetuated by the health and wealth preachers on television. But the reality is that is often not the case. Sometimes what God calls you to do is hard. And it brings on challenges. But always what God calls you to do is best. And he has your best interest at heart. The people would think what they thought. They would say what they said. You know, as people talk about a situation, three things are spread the truth, the exaggerated truth, and outright lies. Whether it was truth, lies, or something in between, Jesus couldn't control the narrative. He could only move forward with what 
he knew to be true. What the angel had told him was true. And so therefore, he took his beloved Mary to be his wife with honor, with righteousness, and without the least bit of hesitancy. And he would be the stepfather of Jesus. And that fact alone speaks of Joseph's godliness. As one writer said, it is inconceivable that God would entrust his son into a family where the father was not totally committed and faithful to him. Mary also demonstrated obedience. We know from the Gospel of Luke that she too accepted the angel's word to her. She too submitted to the call God placed on her life. She was grateful for the call. We have the wonderful Magnificat in which she praises God for it. Even though it was a high and challenging calling. Obedience to God is necessary for a Christmas-style relationship. Both members of the relationship need to be attuned to the calling that God has placed on them individually and as a couple. Those uh, callings will work together and complement one another. If you find yourselves competing with one another in a relationship or, or things just not working together, your calling's not working together, chances are one of you is out of step with the calling God has for you. Reassess in prayer, fine-tune yourself to what God wants to do through you and then move on from there. Now, I want you to notice something about these three things we've gleaned about a Christmas-style marriage or a Christmas-style relationship. Of the three points that we've uncovered, two have to do with a couple's relationship with God. You notice that? That's how important it is. Even the one that deals with love is founded in the relationship with God. So where God is in relationship to you and your relationship with others will determine the health of your relationship. So let's get that relationship right this morning. Let's make sure that we have God where he needs to be in our lives individually and where he needs to be in our marriages and other relationships. So I want you to think about your relationship this morning. Would you say that you are in relationship to God, not interested at all, but you're just kind of here? Maybe you're here this morning because somebody invited you or because you feel obligated to be here, but you're really not that interested at all in a relationship with God. Maybe you're mad at him. Maybe some things have not gone right in the past and you just kind of, no, I don't want to have anything to do with him. Or... Are you interested but not yet committed? You're, you're favorable to the things of God. You're interested. You, you're listening. But you haven't quite made that step to being committed. Or are you committed? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You would say that you are a follower of God. Or fourth, are you growing in your commitment? Which is where everyone really should be. So we have not interested, interested but not committed, committed, and then growing in commitment. We all need to be in the last category, but the first step that is needed is to move to becoming committed. So if you're anything but committed, would you listen closely for just a moment? Because I want to give you an opportunity to step over into commitment. Our greatest need, we've said already today, is to love and be loved We've seen that example in Mary and Joseph. But you know something? No one loves us more than God himself. And no one has shown that love to us more than God himself. Sin separates us from God. 
In fact, sin condemns us to death. But God loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son that if we would believe in him, we would not perish because of our sins, but we could have everlasting life. We could have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He offers that gift to us. You cannot earn that gift. You cannot buy that gift. You can only receive that gift. And when you receive it, you are saved. And when you're saved, in gratitude, because of the gift, you commit your life to Jesus Christ. And so this morning, Jesus stands as he does really every day of your life, extending the gift of salvation to you. And he offers it to you freely, with complete and total love for you, no matter what you've done, wanting to forgive you, wanting to receive you to himself, all you must do is take that gift. And you receive that gift by admitting you need that gift. By admitting that you need the love of Jesus Christ, which comes in and forgives you of your sins, cleanses you from all of those sins, and puts a new life in you so that you can follow him the rest of your days. And so this morning, if you've never received that gift, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ, then would you do that today? Would you give your life over to Jesus and take that and say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need the gift of your son. I need the salvation that you offer. Come into my life. Change me today. I invite you to do that. If you don't know Jesus Christ, at the top of your Christmas list should be trust Jesus Christ, receive his gift. And you can do that today. May we pray together. Father God, we come before you this morning extending this gift. Some of us have received it. Some of us have not enjoyed it enough. And others of us have yet to receive it. And so God, I pray that this morning would be the day of salvation. May it be Christmas morning for some, of our, for some who are in attendance today as they trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. God, for others, they may feel a, feel a calling to become a part of this church family. And I pray, Lord, that you'd encourage them to do that today, that they would come forward and they'd unite with our church family this morning. There may be others that need to come and pray. Some of our deacons are gonna come and pray for this time of invitation. And there may be others that need to pray as well. And so, Lord, during this time of response, we pray that you'll move and that you'll speak. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.